0: Great Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, good morning. Yeah, it's really good uh, to be here. And uh, how inspiring was that video, wasn't it, about uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, and uh, what a privilege to be connected uh, to, to this movement, and, uh, and for, indeed for Apex Church to be connected to the wider uh, regions beyond movement. And so when Mark asked me to speak uh, as part of this on the topic of uh, the Great Commission, um, I was really thrilled. Um, as an evangelist, uh, if I can't speak about the Great Commission, uh, there's nothing I can speak about. And, uh, and as you can see, the title, it's not a typo, it says the Great Omission, Matthew uh, 28, verses 16 to 20. I put this up on my Facebook, and uh, a Church of England archdeacon, he, he said, oh, uh, typo, I think you mean, I think got it wrong, you know, c- Great Commission. Uh, and my reply was, no, no, it's not a typo. Uh, I said, uh, because uh, for much, not all, thankfully, but for much of the contemporary church, uh, the great uh, commission is the great omission. It's the great undone. And, uh, and so that's, uh, it was a deliberate thing. So what is the great undone? Just to remind ourselves, some of the most famous words in the whole of scripture, um, this is called by theologians, in case you didn't realize, this is called the great commission, this, um, this, this passage this event that took place uh, that happened at the end of Jesus's earthly ministry after his death and resurrection and just prior to his ascension. uh, So the 11 disciples disciples went into Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go and when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted and then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and upon earth has been given to me therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's what we're going to be thinking about today. Let's just pray as we get into this. Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that when your word is empowered, and propelled and infused with your Holy Spirit. Uh, It truly is unstoppable that nothing can stop the gospel. And we pray, Father, as we've worshipped you, as we've sought to worship you in spirit and in truth, uh, we pray, uh, Lord, that I might preach now in spirit and in truth, and that we might be impacted and changed and inspired and uh, transformed, uh, we pray, and we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. 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 So those of you who don't know me, um, we we live, me, Tammy and uh, my two daughters, we live in the Cotswolds, uh, Jeremy Clarkson country, um, uh, just near near him, and uh, just west of Oxford, and uh, we've got a place here in Cowes on the Isle of Wight, and we've had that uh, now, I think, for about six, six years, and uh, So we love uh, coming here. Uh, we agree uh, with uh, the char- character uh, uh, called uh, Fanny. She's, uh, she's called Fanny Price in one of Jane Austen's novels, which is Mansfield Park, and uh, where Maria Bertram said this of her, she thinks of nothing but the Isle of Wight and she calls it the island as if there were no other island in the world. Uh, said, so said M- Maria Bertram about Fanny Price in Mansfield Park, published 1814 by Jane Austen. So for us, there's no other island in the world. We love it uh, being here. And uh, it's great uh, to be here for half-term now. So we're thinking about uh, the Great Commission. And that, of course, is to do with evangelism. Evangelism, the euangelion, which is to proclaim good news. It's the, it's the, an, it's the amazing, the fantastic message of redemption. Uh, This is what a friend of mine, Ed Stetzer, said about evangelism. He's an American missiologist, uh, that is to say a theologian who specializes in the theology to do uh, with mission and evangelism. Uh, He said, many Christians love evangelism as long as somebody else is doing it. (laughs) And I think that's true. That's my experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Go for it. But they don't like it themselves. They don't like to do it themselves. And evangelism is part of mission, but it's not the totality of mission. Mission is to be the sent people of God and evangelism is to go with the message. But as the video uh, we had from Regions Beyond earlier reminds us that it's not just the verbal message of the gospel. Mission is bigger than that. It's also God's heart for the poor. And I was struck by Steve Steve Oliver's statistic there that 70% of the unreached people's of the world are among the poorest. I've never, I've not heard it quite put put quite like that before. I guess if I'd thought about it, I might have come to that conclusion. Isn't that extraordinary? 70% of the unreached peoples of the world, people who've not yet heard the good news of Jesus Christ, are amongst the poorest. So little wonder that we are called to have a bias to the poor, um, because God loves all people, of course, but God is there for the poor, the broken, the marginalized, uh, and the dispossessed. So we're called to be a missional people, we're called to be a missional church, Uh, but so often we fail in that, we fall short uh, in that. Uh, I'm ordained into the Church of England, and uh, I I figure that seeing as I am part of the Church of England, uh, I've got permission, perhaps more than others, to sometimes give a friendly critique about my own denomination, sometimes when my own denomination doesn't quite make the mark. In terms of being missional to this nation of Great Britain. Uh, and I sometimes do that with satirical memes. Not everybody's cup of tea. Uh, but anyway, here's one satirical meme that I got in trouble for. I always get in trouble for these things on my Facebook. And it said this marks of a missional church. And what it does, it shows uh, this is a thing where a Church of England bishop, he went down, I think it was the Norfolk Broads on a boat, completing his cope and mitre with his chaplain. Uh, blessing the norfolk broads as he, as he went and i put i put there i put on this one as someone who is constantly exhorting the church to leave the building and embark on risky missional journeys it was heartening to read about the apostolic exploits of one church of england bishop this week flanked by his two flanked by his two clergy he cruised down the waterways in full episcopal regalia to officiate at a, re- a eucharist in a ruined abbey derelict since the dissolution of the monasteries in 1536 it's unclear at this stage how many came to faith from this kingdom endeavor, but it will be reported back as soon as data is available. <laughs> so uh, it's a little bit naughty, isn't it? But, uh, but you know, we're, we're called to be a missional church, and that's to go in a way that is relevant. The gospel never changes, of course, but actually the clothes of the gospel, uh, our apostolic expression of the faith, uh, should change um, we're called uh, to be a missional people. We're called to be a people who go with the good news of Jesus Christ. But so often, evangelism is in the wrong place. Even if a church believes in evangelism, it's not in the correct place in terms of the priorities of the local church. Um, And uh, when things are in the wrong place, uh, sometimes they're not utilised, are they? I don't know, I, I, sometimes if you go and do a shop, you buy some shopping, and uh, you put it all away, and uh, then you sometimes think, oh, where was that? I mean, I, I definitely bought um, this pack of toilet roll, but where's it gone? Does anyone have that expression when they get home, and they think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I, I didn't buy it, although maybe I dropped it, you know, maybe I dropped it by the car, packing it from the from the truck, shopping trolley into into the uh, into the house. Anyway, yesterday, uh, Tammy did a shop. She went off uh, to do a shop here in Cowes uh, and bought a pair of extra wear gloves um, that went missing until this morning. You didn't realize this, love. This is news to you. Uh, I opened uh, the fridge door and there they were. They were in the, the extra wear gloves. Were in the, uh, they were in the, what's, the uh, what's that called? The fruit thing, the fruit and veg thing. Uh, they, were in the, uh, they were in the wrong place. And uh, so sometimes evangelism is in the wrong place. I did I did a uh, a residency for the Diocese of Down and Dromore, which is an Anglican diocese in the Church of Ireland. Uh, Just got back a week or so ago. It was a six-week residency. And the bishop there, Bishop David Maclay, is a radical, uh, born-again, spirit-filled Anglican bishop. Uh, We do have them occasionally. And uh, it was a joy. He probably wouldn't have invited me to do a residency in his diocese, would he, if he wasn't? And uh, I went around with him around his diocese, and he's got such a heart for mission. And one of the things he kept saying is that mission, when, he, when we went around local churches, dozens of churches in his diocese, I did the preaching, and often he, he topped and tailed. But one of the things he said as he introduced me or at the end, he said, mission, he said to these local churches, need to be your top priority. And he said to these local churches, if your mission isn't in your top priority, it won't get done. If it's halfway down the list or two-thirds down the list, it will inevitably, inevitably drop off the end. And that's his experience being a, a minister. He's only been a bishop for about four years, but been an ordained minister for many years. It needs to be your top priority, otherwise it won't get done. Um, it will get displaced. It will drop off the end of your list. If it is at the bottom of your list, it needs to be your top priority. Mission needs to be in the right place. And uh, According to Bishop David McClay, it should be a local church's top priority. We've got a gift and we need to exercise it. We've got a calling and we need to exercise it. Having something, whether it's a gift, a charge, whatever it might be, and in this case it's a charge from the risen Christ to his church, having it isn't enough. We need to exercise it. Uh, just this last week, uh, I, I came to the island a few days before Tammy and the girls arrived for half term, as they did on Friday. And I went to buy myself a guitar and uh, I'd not had a guitar. I'd not, I've owned about four guitars in my life. This is the fourth one and uh, I've not bought a guitar for 30 years and I bought it from Willie's Guitar Shop in town. Anyone been to Willie's Guitar Shop? A few people. And uh, he sold me a Spanish guitar and uh, there's me and Willie. Uh, He's selling me my, my fourth uh, guitar, Spanish guitar. I had to do a review afterwards. Can you see it? It says, what do you recommend about Willie's guitar shop? And I put, Willie. <laughs> and uh, because, uh, you know, he was, he, was, yeah, he was definitely very helpful. But then it said, post must be at least 25 characters. And so it wouldn't post it for me because uh, uh, one word wouldn't do. But uh, anyway, he was very, very helpful. Willie was very, very helpful. But Tammy was cynical when she got, oh, you bought a guitar. How much was it? And uh, as usual, because you say, you'll never use it. It'll just sit there gathering dust, as did my previous three guitars. I could play, about th- at the, the height of my guitar playing, I could play three chords, um, which a professional musician friend of mine says that actually that would get me through most of the corpus of worship songs in the contemporary charismatic church. <laughs> and uh, I used to play, draw me closer, Lord, do you remember that one? Draw me closer, dear Lord, anyway. So uh, I'll have to get back, I'll have to get back to my three chords, so if I can get to three chords again, love, don't worry, I can play anything in the, in the charismatic world. In fact, the Beatles conquered the world with four chords, so uh, who knows. Anyway, so uh, so mission isn't good unless we exercise it. So we've got this wonderful charge. It's called the Great Commission from uh, the Lord Jesus, and as always, Scripture is packed, it's pregnant uh, with stuff. And so when I was preparing uh, this, I, I came up with nine different points. But don't worry, I've whittled it. I've whittled it down. I've whittled it down because I thought, uh, what are the most important things? What are the most important points that I think the Lord wishes to say to us as a church? Uh, today, so I've whittled it down. So here's the first. Anyway, it's called to be an apostolic people. This is one of the things that the Great Commission reminds us: we're called to be an apostolic people. And I've already touched upon that. An apostolic people is a sent people. It's from the Greek word apostolos. Uh, we, we, we believe, don't we, uh, that God has called some to be apostles? We are a church that believes that apostles are for today. We just heard that, didn't we? Uh, the, the Ephesians 4:11 ministries. Is one of the four priorities for regions beyond uh, i say i say heartily are, are meant to that because we're called to be an apostolic people that is a church with apostles but all, but also we, we're an apostolic people all of us are called to be an apostolic people with a small a so here's the risen jesus who says to his church two thousand years ago just as relevant today as it was then christ came to them and he said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me therefore Go. So Jesus sends his church. Therefore, go. We are called to be an apostolic people. We are a sent people, sent by Christ, who himself was sent by the Father with the Father's authority. And of course, Jesus sends us with his authority. We don't need to fear because we are sent by him. One of the reasons the great. A um, mission, sorry, one of the reasons the great commission is so often the great omission is because of fear. We are fearful to go, fearful of rejection, fearful of being misunderstood, fearful of being marginalized by the ever increasing secular society in which we live. But we don't need to fear because we are sent by Christ. We are called to be a people to go. And uh, there it is, uh, underneath in, in, the, in, in the Greek, porenthentes uh, uh, is the Greek word for go. So, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, porenthentes, um, therefore, go, uh, says Jesus. Uh, we are called to be a sent people. And we're fearful of that sometimes because of rejection, sometimes because... Uh, that the world are not going to like it, and uh, to be honest, if the if the world do totally like our message, that is the non-Christian world, the world in rebellion against God, we're probably not preaching it properly. We're not probably preaching the gospel, the evangelion, in the radical, countercultural, subversive way in which Jesus intended. I like the statement by Tom Wright. Tom Wright, you may have heard of him. He's a New Testament theologian. He was a colleague of mine at Wycliffe. Paul Oxford. And uh, he once uh, uh, said this, which is a little bit of touch of self-parody, but there's a real truth in it. He said, wherever St. Paul went, there were riots. Wherever I go, they serve tea. Uh, one of the reasons I wouldn't like to be an Anglican bishop, if I just went around and they were just serving me tea and said, very nice, Bishop. and uh, But uh, there's more likely to be riots if I was a bishop, I think. But anyway, that's by the by. Uh, Ashley and I, we were, ch- we were chatting in the week uh, and um, uh, and we were saying how we love the music of Keith Green any Keith Green uh, people who like Keith Green in the, in the house yeah Isaac likes Keith Green and uh, and then we we had dinner uh, the other night and Jonas came for dinner who's not been a christian that long and it turns out that Jonas Jonas has got into Keith Green as well and so there we go there we there we've got it. Uh, uh, you know a uh, uh, young english guy kind of more middle aged english guy and a middle aged australian Uh, Guy, we're all all into Keith Green. And one of the, we we, we were having dinner the other night and we were playing the best of Keith Green. And uh, this song came up called Jesus Commands Us to Go, uh, that was uh, uh, one of Keith Green's songs uh, from 1984. Keith Green, by the way, amazing American musician, uh, very uh, sadly died when he was a a young man. He had a Cessna airplane and he got off, took, took off. Uh, and uh, the plane plane crashed with some of his uh, kids in it, so he died quite young. But has left us an amazing legacy of music that is powerful and stirring and prophetic. And uh, this is the one that he's written on the Great Commission, Jesus Commands Us to Go, from 1984. And these are the words, Jesus commands us to go, but we go the other way. So he carries the burden alone while his children are busy at play, uh, feeling so called to stay. And then he says, Oh, how God grieves! And believes that the world can't be saved unless the ones he's appointed obey his command and his stand for the world. That he loved more than life. Oh, he died and he cries out tonight. Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. It's no wonder why as the church we're moving so slow when his church refuses to obey, feeling so called to stay. Oh, how God comes as he starts the great judgment of fire so he can gain his greatest desire because he knows that the souls of the lost they can only be reached through us we are his hands and his feet jesus commands us to go it should be the exception if we stay it's no wonder that we're moving so slow when god's children refuse to obey feeling so called to stay it's pretty hard hitting isn't it but actually what keith green says is absolutely right when his children busy at play, and they refuse to obey. You see, the Great Commission is a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, says Jesus. It's not not a suggestion, it's a command. And to disobey a command is, we normally would say, a sin. So if we're disobeying the Great Commission, if we're failing to be his witnesses, it's actually of the stuff of sin, Okay, the second thing then is it's a charge, a commission, or it's a charge to make disciples and not converts. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We sometimes talk about converts, uh, don't we? And a convert is, of course, when a woman or a man, uh, they pray a prayer, usually to repent, to believe, to receive Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, You know, disciples begin as converts, but they don't end or they shouldn't end as converts. We're called not to make converts, but to make disciples. And uh, here it is uh, in the Greek, uh, Matthew 28, verse uh, 19. Uh, Just out of interest, there it uh, begins, that word um, um, go. And and I quoted it a few minutes ago, didn't I? As uh, uh, Poronenthes. And, um, you know, sometimes people, they like to check it in the Greek and they think, is, is there a bit of linguistic uh, latitude? Uh, well, I've checked it in the Greek and uh, it means go. Um, <laughs> it actually checked in the It actually means having gone. Sometimes the Greek is in the past tense. So, uh, uh, you know, the scripture assumes that, you know, so we're, we're going to obey this so much. Actually, we've gone. We've already gone. Uh, so there it is. Perinentes, having gone, therefore, disciple all the nations, baptizing them, uh, it says. But there's the word... Uh, uh, dis- disciple, uh, which is uh and mathetes is the Greek word for disciple. It literally means a learner, one who learns from another's teaching, one who is mentored, one who is apprenticed. So we're Jesus. We are, as Christians, Jesus' mentees. We are Jesus' apprentices, and we're called not to make converts, to make pr- apprentices. People who will be apprenticed by Christ, people who do what he says. And this is difficult because it's a call to be countercultural. And in case we hadn't noticed, British society, Western society, is more and more post Christian. Um, the secular experiment is well underway, so to speak, and the post Christian paradigm is well and truly alive and well in Great Britain. And that means if we're going to be true to Christ's word, to be discipled by him, to be his apprentices and to do what he says, which of course is to be found in the pages of scripture, we're going to find ourselves on a collision course with society as it moves more and more away from its Judeo-Christian moorings. So what do we do? Do we actually go with the flow, go with secular society and gain acceptance Um, in a false belief that somehow the gospel might be more acceptable to them? Or do we graciously but lovingly and kindly stick to our guns, stick to what the Bible clearly teaches, which means we may not be very popular? One of the areas uh, of that is uh, these days is to do with uh, uh, issues of identity. Uh, It's to do with issues with... uh, 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 biblical definitions of things. And one of those things uh, that's particularly a battleground in my own denomination, the Church of England, is to do with marriage, uh, which obviously the Bible clearly defines as a covenant, a union, a lifelong union between a man and a woman. And the Church of England at least is in process of bringing redefinition to that. Um, A Facebook post just popped up a few days ago about uh, a conference I spoke at uh, six years ago, which was the 500th anniversary of when the great Martin Luther, the German Catholic monk, Dr. Luther, who was converted to Jesus Christ, uh, started the Reformation, what we now call the Reformation, by arguing that the church had got out of step with the teaching of the Bible. The medieval Catholic church had got out of step with the teaching of the Bible, and he called it back to the Bible. That caused a seismic historic event uh, that we stand in the slipstream of uh, uh, today as Protestant Christians uh, called the Reformation. Anyway, when this popped up just a few days ago, a week ago, I I reposted it on my Facebook with these words, uh, which again will probably get me into trouble with Uh, the Church of England, but never mind. Uh, It says, how how appropriate, uh, that this was my first lecture at Wycliffe Hall, Oxford, uh, 500 years since Luther's courageous and destiny-defining subversive act, ecclesia reformata semper reformanda, was a phrase dear to the reformers, and it was a favorite of Karl Barth's. Uh, That is originally attributed to St. Augustine of Hippo, 354 to 430. It is translated as the church reformed, always reforming, and speaks of the need of the church to be perennially vigilant against false teaching and to be continually reforming according to the scriptures. It is opposite. This should pop up on my Facebook thread the day after the bishops, that's the Church of England bishops, announced that they are shepherding the church in the opposite direction, recommending that we conform to changing culture, not changeless scripture. We need a new reformation today. And there are three hashtags, Uh, Lord raise up reformers, Uh, two always reforming, and the the third one, reformation before revival. If we're going to see revival, the church needs to be reformed according to the teaching of scripture. So sometimes uh, we're afraid to uh, make disciples, which uh, is encourage people to obey the teaching of Scripture, uh, which is the teaching of Jesus, which is found in Scripture, because it's countercultural. But sometimes, you know, we go uh, we, we go the other way as well, and we sometimes believe the Bible, but we're selective in our belief of the Bible, and we live perhaps more in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament. We live more in defeat. And in victory, we tend to not have a New Testament view of who we are in Jesus Christ. Uh, I sometimes share the story of when I was at some national leaders gathering, we all had to split into groups to share, and one national leader kicked off, and he said this to the group of the other senior leaders. He said, oh, he said, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. That's what he said. Uh, and I couldn't help it. It just came out of my mouth. I just said, mm, speak for yourself. Uh, and people were surprised at me saying this. And what I was saying, I wasn't saying that I'm not a sinner, ask my wife, she would uh, tell you that's not true, but my identity isn't a sinner, and the reason why the New Testament tells me my identity is a saint, which isn't somebody in a stained glass window like these people here, a saint is simply a Christian, a, 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 a sanctified one, that's what it means. We have been made holy because of Jesus Christ, so we are positionally uh, in Christ, which means we are holy. Progressively, we need to say no to sin and yes to Jesus Christ. Appropriate the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we might become what we are. But we are saints. I was having this conversation with Ashley in the week when we had tea, and there's a whole debate about uh, Romans six and seven, where Paul in Romans six talks about him being wretched and all this kind of stuff. And then in Romans 8, he talks about him being more than a conqueror. And most Christians, and I was taught this at theological college, what they believe is that this was Paul on a bad day as a Christian in Romans 7 and Paul on a good day as a Christian. In other words, oh, you know, sometimes as a Christian he's defeated and sometimes he's, 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 he's not defeated and uh, this is wonderful par- wonderfully pastorally, we, we, I was told, at Theological College, because most Christians were all defeated most of the time. And so if Paul was, had his bad days and was defeated, uh, then that not that great? But I was saying to Ashley this week, I've been convinced for many years, oh, absolutely not. Romans 7 and 8, and I suggest you read it later, is, is a juxtaposition of Paul under the law, i.e. as a Jew, as a non-Christian, and Paul as a Christian, life in the Spirit. I'm convinced about that. Uh, I was chatting to a young guy this week who uh, doesn't believe that, and uh, he just sent me a meme just yesterday. I think it was yesterday he sent me this meme, which was criticizing an American preacher called Joel Osteen. And by, uh, by mentioning Joel Osteen, I, I don't, I've not particularly heard much of his preaching. I'm not particularly endorsing um, the ministry of Joel Osteen in this example that I'm giving. But the meme that he sent... Was juxtaposing Austen with the Apostle Paul. And Austen apparently t- talks about being prosperous and successful and positive and uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, he, ju- he juxtaposes it with Paul, who says, I'm wretched. So clearly, Austen is the heretic in my friend's opinion, and St. Paul um, is the saint because he knew that he was wretched. Now, I'm not particularly a fan of o- Joel Austen. As I say, I don't not really listen to him very much. But actually, I've got to criticize, critique something when it's not true. So this was my reply to my friend. This fails to work, this critique of Osteen, um, as Paul is describing his pre-Christian life under the law, Romans 7. A better juxtaposition would be him saying that he is more than a conqueror, Romans 8, which wouldn't make a good satirical mean, as it sounds like something Osteen might say. <laughs> because austine might say, I'm more, more than a conqueror. Hyperkonomen is the Greek, more than conquerors. You see, we don't need to fear the culture um, because actually Christ has made us more than conquerors through him, through, Jesus, through God has made us more than conquerors through him, Jesus Christ who loved us. Okay, next, conversion includes conversion to the cause. cause uh, sorry, conversion includes conversion to the church, which is the community. So no, notice Paul, said, uh, 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 Jesus says this, the risen Jesus says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, there are, we're blessed here to have a number of baptisms. There's the baptistry to my right. Sometimes, of course, we do baptisms in the English Channel, don't we, in the Solent. And uh, there's a couple of guys here. I hope you don't mind me mentioning you. I uh, didn't ask your permission, but I know you well enough to know that you don't mind. And uh, so we've got Jonas, uh, Jonas, who is uh, baptized, and this is me and Ashley. That was, was that in April? June, no, it's was June, wasn't it? This is June, it felt and... Like April. Sorry? It felt like, it felt like <laughs> April. And uh, Jack, when was yours? July. July, sorry, I, could, I couldn't make that. I was preaching somewhere I was, uh, where I couldn't make that. I would have liked to have uh, come to that. So these two guys um, were baptized, and baptism is important because back- baptism is the sacrament of belonging. This is where uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, basically... Uh, He basically said to me, a guy that I mentored uh, when when I was training to be a vicar at Wycliffe, he basically said he didn't want to get baptized in the local church. He said, would I baptize him? In his bathtub at home. He said, basically, it was just going to be me and him. And I said, no, I won't baptize you in your bathtub at home. And uh, mainly that's because it belongs in the church, by the church, not the building, of course, it belongs in the community. And that's why when uh, uh, Jonas was baptized, it was kind of like an impromptu thing after the final piece of the big jigsaw had happened in church here. And, you know, in, in, t- in terms of his, his conversion to Christ, shall we put it like that? And uh, he wanted to go for it. And I said, yeah, why not? And, um, uh, Ashley uh, kind of sanctioned it, but we gathered as many people as we could. And how many were there? Who, uh, Jonas baptism. Quite a few of us were there. And we had a, a little baptism tea uh, in Spinnaker's in my flat. So, so these guys, by being, by being baptized, yes, they were baptized into Christ Jesus, but it's also the sacrament of belonging. They were baptized into the church. You see, conversion includes conversion to the church. As John Wesley said, there is no such thing as solitary Christianity. But so often, the church... It's kind of a sleep in the light, to use uh, Keith Green's phrase. I was uh, uh, on holiday um, earlier this year. We got a cheap cruise deal right early on in the year, and we went on this uh, cruise ship, and I'm going to show a photograph of, of that in just a second. But then we, were, we went to France. On, we did a, holiday, a home exchange to France earlier this year, and we were in Toulon. Toulon is a place that, where the Navy, the French Navy, are based, so there were quite a few battleships, so I took a photo of a battleship, and here it is juxtaposed. But do you know what these guys were baptized in? Do you know the U2? You were baptized into the church, which is a battleship, not a cruise ship. It's a battleship, not a cruise ship. And for too many in the church, it's a cruise ship. It's, it's, a, it's all about you. It's all about you know, consumerism. One of the things that's exciting when people come to Christ often and my prayer is they always retain it, and they sadly don't always retain it. My prayer is that these two guys always retain it. Is they, if they don't become evangelists, because that's a particular gift calling that it's not for all of us, they certainly, new Christians are missional. In other words, they want to witness. And so the thing is with Jack, when he, when he became a Christian, he wanted to lead his friends to Christ. And I was on a video call uh, with him once, with a group that he belonged to. And he was sharing his testimony. He sent me a private message. He said, could, could you do an altar call at the end? And do you remember this, Jack? And I said, Yeah, yeah, I will. And I did an altar call at the end. And how many, how many made a commitment? Uh, seven, was it? Yeah, seven people professed faith in Christ. Then, Jack, next time he did it uh, with this group that he's part of, I said, You do it on your own. And he did it on his own. He didn't need me. He did it on his own. And people became uh, Christians. Jonas' uh, uh, last piece of the jigsaw in terms of becoming a Christian. Uh, just in June of this year. But he came for dinner with me and Ashley the other day and he talked about evangelism. And he said, how can we as a church, this is Apex, we can be more missional. Can we do we talked about evangelistic strategy and what we can do as a church to be more missional, to reach out? Because Jonas has got the Father's heart because the Father's heart is to reach out with the good news of Jesus Christ. We are called not to be a cruise ship, but to be um, a battleship and not a battleship in harbour like at Toulon. Uh, Because a ship might be safest uh, when it's in port, but that is not what ships were built for. We were built for the high seas and the turbulence of living in this fallen and sin-sick world. Okay, mission exists because worship doesn't. Um, The early Christians, they saw him and they worshipped him. That's the risen Jesus, but some doubted. So the two responses, disbelief or doubt, and faith and worship the reason i say faith and worship because faith and worship are inextricably linked faith is the uh, worship is the language of faith and i love that phrase it's by john piper uh, mission exists because worship uh doesn't from the let the nations be glad um jesus christ longs to have worshipers That's the end objective, to create a people for God's own possession, a worshipping people, not just here on the earth, militant, but triumphant in heaven. We are called to be a people that reach out with the gospel, as Piper says, precisely um, because worship does not exist. Mission. We're called to be a missional people because worship does not um, exist. And it's mission impossible without the Holy Spirit. Notice Jesus says, "'Surely I'm with you always.'" even to the very end of the age. Uh, Mission is impossible without the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus says he's with us always, even to the end of the age, what does he mean? He's referring to Pentecost. He's with us in and through the Holy Spirit. Christ ascended to the Father and sent his Holy Spirit on the church on the day of Pentecost so that we might be a people empowered, a people empowered to live for him and a people empowered to speak for him. I mentioned, didn't I, a minute ago, that I've been in the Diocese of Down and Dromore in Northern Ireland, and the last sermon I gave was in a little church uh, called Ballywalter, and uh, I was in that church, um, Ballywalter, and uh, there was, uh, I, looked, I was on the front row, and I looked on the back row, and there's a young guy that I didn't recognize, he'd not been to any events before, And as I look back, I got a prophetic sense just by looking at this young guy on the back row that that there were father issues. He had father issues and that that basically there'd been a, yeah, basically a a big deficit to do with knowing his dad and that God wanted to be his father. And so I thought to myself, uh, I must go and uh, speak to him at the end and maybe give him that word of knowledge because it's a little bit sensitive, isn't it? Rather than giving it out publicly, I'll speak to him at the end. Um, Anyway, I, I gave an appeal for anyone who wanted to give their life to Jesus Christ and uh, amongst the hands that went up was the young man's hand, and he was visiting that night with his granny. Uh, His name is Matty, and uh, sure enough, um, when I talked to him, uh, Matty had got um, some father issues, and he said that his parents got divorced when he was about three. He had a relatively goodish relationship with his dad, but when he was 15, his dad uh, uh, got a girlfriend. He started cohabiting with uh, another woman, and this woman said uh, to, the, to, to his dad, you've got to choose between me and Matty. And so the dad chose his girlfriend and, and, and hasn't spoken to Matty since. So for five years has not spoken to Matty. Anyway, I prayed with Matty. He was filled with the spirit pretty, pretty powerfully. And he wrote to me the day after by WhatsApp. And this is what he said. He said, I've always found it very hard to grasp the concept of accepting something I cannot see With the amount of badness that there is in the world and the bad things that have happened in my life, obviously partly to do with his dad. Anyway, on Sunday night, it was the most personal and intense experience that I've ever had. I've always wished uh, that I would be able to have an experience like that and to know the right path to be on. I could never doubt my faith again after what happened last night. I feel so much better about my father's situation Now I feel as though a literal weight was lifted off my shoulders when I forgave him and I think that's something that I've never let myself do because I led him in a prayer forgiving his dad. But now I feel finally free from the anger and the rejection that I felt towards him. I now know that I have the love and the forgiveness that God gives. It's never felt like this before. I honestly feel like I was immersed in the Lord by the way, the word baptism, you know, we talk about the baptism of the Spirit. Baptizo literally means to soak, to saturate, to immerse. He was, I believe, baptized in the Spirit. Uh, and, and he says, I honestly feel I was immersed in the Lord. And I'm now on a journey to become the best version of myself um, and to live my life for him and not just my earthly wants and desires. I'm now on a journey to become the best version of myself. Isn't that what we become as Christians? Isn't that what sanctification does for us? Brothers and sisters, it makes us the best version of ourselves. You couldn't make this kind of stuff up, could you? So we're called to go. We are called to go with the good news of Jesus Christ, to be Christ's uh, missional uh, people, Um, his his sent people uh, into the whole world empowered by his spirit. We're going to have an opportunity now. We've uh, run out of uh, time, but we're going to have an opportunity at the end of The service for anyone to receive prayer, there's going to be a prayer ministry team. Uh, I'm happy to join in with that as well. And if any of you have been particularly impacted by this and would like prayer, uh, maybe for a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit, to be filled afresh with the Spirit, that you may be sent in a new way, you might be empowered in a new way uh, with this gospel that we all have. Uh, We're all called to be as witnesses. A few of us here may well be evangelists. We are, I know that. Uh, but most of us are not evangelists as such, but we are called to be his witnesses. Uh, and I'd encourage you to, to pray earnestly that the Lord might empower you with his spirit, uh, that you might be propelled into uh, the world uh, in which we live, that the gospel might go forth in this town of cows throughout the, uh, the island of uh, the Isle of Wight, throughout this nation of the United Kingdom, throughout Europe, throughout, indeed, uh, the world. But I'm going I'm to finish with a prayer before I pray for all of us. I'm going to pray for all of us generally. But I'm going to finish with a specific prayer for anyone here who might want to give their lives to Christ. I was doing this all over uh, when I was in Northern Ireland. And, um, and uh, nearly every time I did this, there were one or two who gave their lives to Christ. And it could well be that you've been journeying with the community for a while. It could, could well be that you're a visitor here today. You've never given your life to Christ. Well, here's a prayer you can play. I'm going to read it first of all. It's a kind of a bespoke prayer for the occasion. It goes like this, I turn to you, Jesus Christ, I turn from my sin uh, to you, the rescuer. My sin is everything I've done wrong, said wrong, thought wrong. Grant me your forgiveness. I resolve to be your disciple, that is your apprentice, your learner. Um, Fill me now with your Holy Spirit, that's God's empowering presence. Uh, May I go with your gospel, with your good news, amen. So So this is a prayer for anyone who perhaps has never given their life to Christ before. I'm going to pray it now. Um, and, um, and I'm going to pause at the end of each line. You don't need to speak it out loud, but I'd encourage you to pray it in the quietness of your own heart. But another group of people this might be suitable for is people, perhaps you have prayed this prayer before, but you know you're not actively following Jesus now. So you prayed it before, don't know when, who, who, it doesn't really matter, but you know that you're not actively following Jesus. You may even be going to church on a Sunday, but you know you're not actively following Jesus now, or well, this prayer would be suitable for you or, or also. So let's just bow our heads um, uh, to pray. And I'm just going to ask you to do one uh, other thing. It's a slightly brave thing, and that is if you've made up your mind you're going to pray this prayer, and you will have already done so um, uh, before me saying this, you've already done so. If you've made up your mind you're going to pray this prayer, and you are going to pray this prayer with me, I'm just going to invite you, just raise your right hand just where you are as an indication that you're praying this prayer. Just, uh, just indicate by raising your right hand. And um, you know, of course, you don't, you don't uh, need to do that. You don't have to do that. But sometimes, you know, I say it's difficult being a Christian in the, the post-Christian world. And it's good as an indication to the Lord um, to, to, that, that you mean business with him. So, okay, this is for you four. Uh, there could be others, but I think I saw four hands, maybe, maybe five. But this is for, uh, for you. Let's pray, pray this prayer together. Uh, I turn to you, Jesus Christ. I turn from my sin to you, the rescuer. Grant me your forgiveness. I resolve to be your disciple. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. May I go with your gospel. Amen. And so, Father, uh, we do pray, each one of us pray for those four or five, or maybe there were more, people who didn't raise their hand, but they want, were praying anyway. We pray for those individuals, either coming to you for the first time, or maybe humbly acknowledging that they're not active, actively following you now, which takes humility and courage to do that. And, um, and, and we pray, Father, that you might fill them now with your Holy Spirit, just as they've um, come to you afresh in repentance and faith, or maybe for the first time in repentance and faith. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, we pray. We pray that they may never fall back, as, as, in fact, indeed, as we pray for all of us, that we may never fall back. We've got a propensity to do so. May we always live in the fullness of your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for the newish Christians among us, people like Jonas, people like Jack, who's often so on fire with Jesus and, 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 and are wanting to witness and to talk about their faith in Jesus Christ. May they be a prophetic irritant to all of us a prophetic sign to all of us as how we should be. So we thank you for them. Bless them uh, this morning, uh, we pray, especially give them a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit. And for each one of us, uh, Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit afresh uh, now, uh, Lord Jesus Christ. Fill us with your, with your spirit afresh. We thank you for this amazing commission, uh, Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you, uh, Lord, that we are called, each one of us, uh, by your name, we're called to be an apostolic people. And may this church be an apostolic church, Lord, uh, where, and from which we are all sent, sent out to the world of work, sent out, Lord, to our, non, our families, sent out to the non-Christians uh, who don't know you, just sent, uh, sent out to the coffee shops and uh, the surfing club and the yacht club, sent out to all the places we go where there are people who don't know you. And Jesus, uh, Lord, we recognize we're called not to make converts but disciples And uh, and may we do that, not just lead people to faith, but may they be discipled in the community of your faith, uh, which is this church. Um, And uh, and we pray, Lord, we may always uh, recognize the church is part of the deal. Uh, May we not be embarrassed about that or apologize for that, but may we be a New Testament church. And we know when we are a New Testament church, we don't need to apologize because we will be attractive. We won't be unattractive. We will be attractive if if we are a true New Testament church. Uh, so may we not apologize of that. We thank you for Piper's wisdom, Lord. Mission exists because worship doesn't. And so we look, Lord, to the end, Jesus, when there's a great company in heaven of every tongue, every tribe, people from every expression of humanity on the face of planet Earth, worshiping you. And, uh, and so may we be a worship people because we recognize that worship is the language of faith. And we recognize all this, Jesus, is impossible, not just improbable, it's impossible without your Holy Spirit. That guy Matty, that 20-year-old in Northern Ireland, couldn't come to Jesus in that way without your Holy Spirit. And uh, and fill him afresh with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that he's going to church every week. Pray for him today. This will be his second Sunday in church. I know he went last week. He messaged me and told me he was in uh, with your people last week. Bless him today. But Lord, so come Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want to hold your hands out in front of you, just in a receptive posture. Um, come, Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Fall afresh on us, we pray. Fall afresh on your church, Jesus. Jesus, we belong to you. We've been bought at a price. Uh, it wasn't cheap. Jesus, you died for us that we might be set free. You died that we might be forgiven. We, you died that we might be redeemed. You died, Jesus, that we might be your people. And so, Jesus, in the w- words of that song, that I think it's a Tim Hughes song that says, fill us up and send us out in the power of your name. Lord, we pray that. Fill us up. Come, Holy Spirit. Send us out in the power of your name. Uh, we accept Keith Green's prophetic rebuke, uh, Jesus, that you call us to go. And, uh, and Jesus, uh, just as uh, we uh, go now from this place, uh, from this church, um, um, uh, whether it's in a, f- a few minutes or uh, having had coffee, um, Jesus, we, uh, we, cho- we choose uh, to go Uh, in your name. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, um, uh, fill us up, send us out in the power of your name. And just in conclusion, I'm just going to finish by uh, reading out that verse prophetically, um, um, that commission, the the commission prophetically over uh, each one of us. Jesus said it over his disciples 2,000 years ago, but just imagine uh, through my voice, he's saying it today over his contemporary disciples, because guess what? He is. Jesus is saying this today, just as if he, he, he was here today, because he, he is here today, in the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says this over us. His disciples gathered here um, in uh, cows in 2023. So receive this as if from him. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey obey everything I have commanded you. And be assured, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age.